Look alive, sunshine. 109 in the sky, but the pigs won't quit. You're here with me, Dr. Death Defying. I'll be your surgeon, your proctor, your helicopter, pumping out the slaughtermatic sounds to keep you live. A system failure for the masses. Antimatter for the master plan. Louder than God's revolver and twice as shiny. This one's for all you rock and rollers, all you crash queens and motor babies. Listen up! One. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. It's the new Harry Styles song, Grape Juice, which we're very excited about in the uh, household to listen on the boat this summer. A couple of topics on the docket today. By now, you've certainly heard about the, the demonization of all the early treatments for COVID, the two most discussed early on being ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. But did you ever put any thought into why, right? And that's one of the first things I wanted to cover today is why were the early treatments demonized and smeared and censored? Ivermectin has been around since 1975. Billions and billions of doses have been given out, just like McDonald's. Billions and billions served ivermectin. Billions and billions served. It's on the WHO's list of essential medicines. And the founders of it won a Nobel Prize for it in 2015. And that was the only award for treatment of infectious diseases since the 1960s. So they don't just give these things out. So it's kind of a big deal. The only treatment for infectious diseases to win a Nobel Prize in the last 60 years. Ivermectin. Ivermectin is currently out of patent. Anyone can make it, and I think it costs up to $24 for a five-day protocol. So we have a possible therapeutic that's super safe, and doctors were having great success using it for early treatment for COVID-19. So why was it smeared? Why was it censored? Why were the doctors threatened with losing their license over prescribing it? Why were the pharmacists told not to fill those prescriptions? Why? Need to ask why. In today's world, where Big Pharma advertises on all the major TV networks and the technocrat billionaires like Bill Gates, who gave over $300 million to media companies to buy favorable coverage, it's imperative to ask some questions before accepting the paid-for consensus. Like in this example, why were early treatment drugs instantly dismissed and smeared? especially drugs that were already known to be safe. Like, what what's the harm in trying? So that has to make you curious, okay? Instead of believing that the decision makers have your health and your best intent in mind, just ask yourself why. Why is this happening? You ask yourself that a few times, and you put some actual thought into it, and you come to a very simple fact. Early treatments that could be effective against COVID would prevent the emergency use authorizations for vaccines. Now, we covered this several times, but let's just go over it for the sake of the discussion today. These vaccines are not FDA approved for use under normal circumstances, right? The only way they're giving you these, what they call vaccines, is because the government has issued an emergency use authorization 
the FDA may authorize the introduction of a medical product into interstate commerce when the product is intended for use during an actual or potential emergency. So that's the criteria for the issuance of the EUA. So we have to have an emergency to even start the discussion for the EUA. COVID, government says we have an emergency. And that emergency is still in effect until July of this year. And we'll see if they extend it out like they did last time. They extended it out for 90 days the last time it was going to expire. So we need an emergency. And then once you have that emergency, you have four pieces of criteria that you need to meet. You need to meet all four of these to get an EUA drug. So for the FDA to issue the EUA, there must be an emergency that's capable of causing serious or life-threatening disease or condition. Okay, check. We have that. Next thing, evidence of effectiveness. Medical products that may be considered for an EUA are those that, quote, may be effective to prevent, diagnose, or treat serious or life-threatening diseases or conditions that can be caused by the emergency, in this case, COVID. So again, medical products that can be considered, quote, may be effective. Third criteria, the risk-benefit analysis. A product may be considered for an EUA if the commissioner de determines that the known and potential benefits of the product when used to diagnose, prevent, treat, and identify disease or condition outweigh the known potential risks of the product. So you get a pass, the very traditional risk-benefit analysis. And number four is that there's no alternatives, right? So for the FDA to issue an EUA, there must be no adequate approved and available alternatives to the candidate product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating a disease condition. So to get the EUA, you first need an emergency, which we have, and then you need to satisfy those four criteria in order to do the EUA products. Why we talked about early treatment drugs is kind of no alternatives, right? So think about this for a second. If ivermectin and or hydroxychloroquine or whatever, any alternative, was available, what would that mean for Pfizer and Moderna? Great question to ask, right? And with the benefits of hindsight, let's just look at 2021 financials. 2021, Pfizer made $37 billion of revenue on their vaccine. Their overall revenue doubled to $81 billion for the year, but they did $37 billion with a B dollars in revenue on their vaccine. Moderna was anywhere from 15 to 18 billion dollars of revenue on their vaccine and that means they have over 10 billion dollars in profit because their only product is this vaccine. Pfizer and Moderna combined make $65,000 a minute. That's 93.5 million dollars a day and the stockholders of those companies have produced five new billionaires in 2021. So again, you have to ask yourself the question, if some out of patent drugs could get in the way of billions and billions of dollars in profit, and this is liability free profit, mind you, that's the best kind of freaking profit. You get to keep all that shit. If those generic out of patent drugs could cost you and your company billions and billions of dollars of potential revenue, what would you do if you were Pfizer or Moderna? I mean, just spitballing here, but maybe use your 
billions and billions and millions of dollars and your fucking influence to smear, discredit, and censor the alternatives like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that are the only thing standing in the way of billions and billions of dollars of profit. Yeah, yeah. think about that for a quick second. Think about what people do for hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. I mean, shit, people kill for thousands. You're telling me the criminal enterprise that is Pfizer would let these generic drugs get in the way of making billions? I'll let you decide. But that's the kind of thinking we need to do in scenarios like this. And something as basic as that question, I think, gives people a lot more information than watching a week's worth of news. So speaking of the EUA, on June 15th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration Vaccine Advisory Panel unanimously voted 21 to 0 to recommend Pfizer and Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for infants and young children, stating the totality of evidence available shows the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the risk of use. Okay, that's fair enough. That's one of the criteria. Need a risk-benefit analysis. So they're saying, hey, it's going to do more good than harm. Pfizer's three-dose vaccine would cover children six months to five years, while Moderna's two-dose vaccine covers children six months to six years. And states have already ordered millions of doses made available prior to the FDA authorization by the Biden administration. We covered that, right? The government already bought these fucking shots before they even approved. So Moderna's vaccine for infants and toddlers consists of two 25 microgram shots, while Pfizer's vaccine is a triple dose regimen of three microgram shots each. Combining all ages together, Pfizer said its three dose regimen for children six months to five years was 80% effective at preventing illness from Omicron variant based on preliminary data from its clinical trial. This 80% number was calculated 30 days after the third dose. And as noted by committee members, the efficacy numbers is likely to go down after 30 days and post-approval monitoring was suggested. Moderna said its two-shot vaccine was about 51% effective against infection from Omicron in children under 2, 37% among kids 2 to 5, citing different efficacy numbers than what was reported by the company in March. And in a March 23rd press release, Moderna says its vaccine in six months to two-year group was only 43.7% effective. In the older group, the company said its vaccine was 37.5% effective. Those, those sound like great numbers. Also, a top official at Moderna has already said a booster will be necessary. All previously authorized COVID-19 vaccines and boosters for all age groups were required to meet the FDA's 50% requirement prior to obtaining the EUA. So that's their efficacy thing, right? Anything over 50% effective in their eyes does more good than harm. So, I mean, th those numbers are pathetic. I mean, do we even need this thing for kids, right? Remember, we need several conditions to meet the EUA. And that first one, serious or life-threatening disease or condition. Do we have a serious or life-threatening disease or condition for these young children? Because the FDA is saying yes because they're considering this drug for an EUA. They just approved this fucking drug for an EUA. So they, the FDA is telling you that 
there is a serious or life-threatening disease or condition for young children. And according to Steve Kirsch's newsletter through a Freedom of Information request, they had to get a FOIA request because the government isn't willing to share this data with you and me. And you'll never guess what it shows. It shows that during the first two years of the pandemic, no children aged 5 to 11 died in Massachusetts from COVID. And Massachusetts is the 15th largest state. The FDA is declaring an emergency in approving vaccines, which have not been rigorously tested. Pfizer even admitted in federal court that there was fraud in the COVID trials. And what we all need to remember is it's not about the data. The American people trust the doctors. The doctors trust the FDA. The FDA trusts the drug companies. And if the drug companies say the vaccines are safe, well, then they believe them. No matter what the post-marketing data says, no matter how many people just drop dead, no, how, no matter how many cases of myocarditis, the doctors discount the post-marketing data as anecdotes. That's just how it works. And the American people and the doctors also trust the CDC. And the CDC is supposed to monitor the VAERS data for adverse events, just to be sure. But now we just learned that the CDC just admitted that they don't even do that. But it won't make any difference because the mainstream media will just cover up the story and not let it see the light of day anyway. All right, so let's recap. The FDA just approved Pfizer and Moderna for kids six months to five years old. They do not meet, that doesn't even meet the criteria for an EUA drug for this age group because there's not an emergency in this age group. Can you see how insane this all is and why it's imperative to know this shit, to understand the EUAs and to understand the process and how it works and ask some fucking questions? Like, Jesus, how many five-year-olds are dying from COVID that we're going to just start offering this to kids? And saying it's safe and effective. So you, there's a shitload of parents out there that are still terrified. They're still watching the news. They still think this is a fucking thing. They've just gone through two and a half years of mass formation psychosis. There are going to be parents that give this shit to their kids. Just because it's available. So the point is, why is it available? It shouldn't even be available. There's no emergency for the kids. If you think that's crazy, buckle up for this next one. Finally, we're going to take a look at the Pfizer trial data from their six-month to five-year-old trial. Okay, this information comes courtesy of the Heart Group, and more specifically, Dr. Claire Craig, who's the co-chair of the Heart Group. They're the health advisory and recovery team. They're a group of highly qualified UK doctors, scientists, economics, psychologists, and other academic experts who came together over shared concerns about policy and guidance recommendations related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So Dr. Claire Craig has a great four-minute video, which I'll include in the description, along with all the other sources for all the stuff I'm saying, because I, this is, I'm just reading from Pfizer's stuff, the government stuff. Just, I'm just reading it. It's all available. So I'm going to summarize her amazing four-minute video on, so this is specifically regarding the Pfizer trial for six-month to four-year-old kids. So just let's walk through the trial. In the beginning, they had 4,526 kids enrolled in the trial. Okay, so just over 4,500 kids in the trial. 3,000 of those kids didn't even make it to the end of the trial. So two-thirds of the kids in the trial, gone. Didn't make it to the end without any explanation. Is that because it worked so well? You be the judge. But that is curious. 
that you lose two-thirds of your fucking participants in the study. So, how did they define severe COVID? Well, for kids in this age group, severe COVID was defined as children with slightly raised heart rates or a few more breaths per minute. That was their definition and criteria of severe COVID for this trial. Does this sound like the COVID that people that you know have got? When have you ever heard COVID being defined as slightly raised heart rate? That's a question. I don't know the answer to that. I've never heard this until I just read this with the kids. We had six kids between the ages of two and four had severe COVID in the vaccinated group. And we had one kid in the placebo group to have severe COVID. So right off the bat, you know the vaccine is more likely to cause severe COVID versus preventing it. You had six kids get severe COVID in the vax group and one in the placebo group. So yay. We had one kid hospitalized in the trial with fever and seizures who was vaccinated. So this is what they did. They gave the kids the first shot. So this is the Pfizer. So this is a three dose, fucking three doses of the shit to the kids. Oh my God. So this is a three dose Pfizer, right? So they vaccinated the kids. They waited three weeks. They gave them the second dose. And in that three week waiting period, 34 of the vaccinated kids got COVID versus 13 of the placebo group that got COVID. So no math major, public school here, but... 30% increased chance of COVID if you're vaccinated. And that was just in the three weeks between the first and second shot. Then there's an eight-week gap between the second and the third dose. And Pfizer ignored all the data in this eight-week gap of the kids that got COVID. They ignored all the data after the third shot. So by the end of the trial, Pfizer ignored 97% of the COVID cases in the trial. Because at the end of the trial, they said three kids who were vaccinated got COVID and seven kids in the placebo group got COVID. So that was their submission to show vaccine efficacy. Now, you may be like, well, Nick, you just said a bunch more kids got it. They did. A shitload of kids in the study got COVID. But when you read... The trial data, only three kids that were vaccinated got COVID. 12 kids who had COVID twice in the follow-up period, and all but one of those was vaccinated, and mostly with three doses. So in the follow-up period after the study, 12 kids got COVID twice. 11 of them were vaccinated, mostly with three doses. But they just claimed that the reduction of COVID was four kids right? Seven unvaxxed versus three vaxxed. What's crazy about this is COVID is not affecting kids. Okay, so let's recap. You have an FDA approval for a COVID vaccine for kids six months to five years for Pfizer and six months to six years for Moderna. There is absolutely zero emergency in this age group that would constitute an EUA, but that's just not what we do anymore. We just rub a stamp everything. So now we're declaring an emergency for kids and we just cited that in Massachusetts between 2020 and 2021, no kids have died from COVID between ages 5 and 11. There is no long-term safety data. Again, something we keep talking about. And in a previous podcast, we talked about the dangers of getting rid of the control group, right? Because that will tell you what that long-term safety data that will give you that information. The EUA, situation of risk or serious injury or death. Kids under five are not at risk. 
Pfizer followed up with kids for six weeks after the trial ended before unblinding them and then vaccinating them. So after this study ended, they monitored the, after they got their last dose, Pfizer monitored, that, monitored both groups for six weeks after the trial, and then they got rid of the control group. And when you get rid of the control group, you get rid of having any long-term safety data. So you have 14 weeks worth of information here, and that's it. And they're going to tell you it's safe and effective to give to your kid who's not at risk of getting it. This is why it's so important to ask some questions, do some research for yourself. This stuff is all out there. And if you just watch the news, you'll never know any of this shit. And if you think, like most of my family members do, that it's disinformation or I'm full of shit or I don't know what I'm talking about, I encourage you to click on the links. Don't take my word for it. Click on the fucking links in the description that goes to all these stories and make up your own mind. But it's a worthy exercise because I guarantee you the stuff in these links is stuff you've never heard of on the news. It was never covered and never discussed. So stop thinking and feeling and knowing that you're right when you've never even looked at the other side of the coin. That's the point. If COVID is as scary as you think it is, if COVID is worthy of all these emergency measures that you say it is, if we should be giving experimental medication to kids because this is such a big deal, then doesn't it make sense to look at all of the information that's out there and to pay extra attention to the doctors and the scientists, to the podcasters, to the parents, to everybody who's trying to raise the alarm against the scientific consensus that everything's safe and effective. One thing I don't get as I've been going through my life for the last two and a half years and being in the very, very small minority of people who don't believe a certain thing or think there's problems with the thing that everyone's just accepted is it blows my mind that no one has asked me any fucking questions. No one's come up to me and be like, geez, Nick, I know we don't agree on this, but I'm just curious, like, why do you think the way you think? Why do you have eight binders of research? What do you need that shit for? I just watched the news and it said it's good. Why, what are you, why are you wasting your time? What are you looking at? What are you seeing that's different from everything I've been told? I cannot believe people have not asked me that question. So thank you very much for joining us today. My email is also in the description. Got a question? Love to talk about it. But the whole point of this podcast and today's episode is to ask some questions, to think for yourself, instead of being spoon-fed the stuff that the people selling you the product want you to hear. The future is bulletproof. The aftermath is secondary. It's time to do it now and do it loud. Killjoys, make some noise.